Welcome to Pello Talk. I'm Dave Pello. Tonight we're going to be talking with a large panel about the breaking news, and that is that uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg has died, uh, one of the Supreme Court justices. Uh, it's now several days old, of course. That was that was Friday, Saturday, our time. Uh, and that has major ramifications for not only United States politics, but what happens in America really does cause ripples and waves around the world. We'll also be talking about an election happening just days sooner uh, with a very similar sensitive topic, and that is uh, abortion. It's now become a major election issue in both America and Queensland. Oh, it's not enough to do nothing. It's time for us to do something. I don't know if you heard any audio during that, but I didn't. Uh, so hopefully you all did, and, and I just need to change a setting on my computer. But uh, look, this is actually a major crossroads. President Trump's third possible Supreme Court pick, if he can get it through before the election, assuming he's not re-elected, will bring America to existential crossroads. And of course, if he does get re-elected, he will definitely get to fill that vacancy. Well, 2020 has been a year like none that has been experienced in many decades for many reasons, not least of which is the unhinged lunacy of leftists in the United States. In reality, we've seen many foretastes of the violence and mayhem of this year. The global terrorist organisation Antifa has been observable for many years, as has the racist hatred of the Black Lives Matter organisation, BLM. Under Obama in 2014, BLM blossomed into toxic life when Michael Brown, an 18-year-old black man in Ferguson, Missouri, was killed while attacking a police officer in his car and trying to take his weapon from him. Scenes of violent riots across the city, the fruit of the BLM tree, filled news around the world, looting and arson. Crimes against totally innocent citizens marked the angry protests for a week. And then, late in May this year, a man who held a gun to a pregnant woman's abdomen while robbing her home, been arrested nine times for armed robbery and sent to prison six times, was arrested and died in custody. Video showing one officer kneeling on his neck while three others watched, watched on went viral. In due course, Officer Derek Chauvin would be charged with second-degree unintentional murder, and face trial for his behaviour along with his fellow officers as the evidence supported. But rather than waiting for the order part of law and order, leftists once again decided they were anointed as judge, jury and executioner, not only for the four accused police officers, but all of law enforcement across the nation, and all of the nation as well. Leftists believe the rule of law is inadequate, if not oppressive. They feel so morally superior to everyone who disagrees with them, they also feel justified to riot, assault, murder, loot and burn anything and anyone unfortunate enough to be near them as they tantrum like emotionally incontinent criminals. That isn't hyperbole. That's how BLM anarchists and Antifa terrorists have been behaving every day since George Floyd's death. The days of leftists combining the words peaceful and protest ended with Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s life. The actually peaceful activist who only ever advocated nonviolent protest and civil disobedience 
became a shameless excuse for riots which killed more than 50 people in 1968, a decade which saw the ascendancy of modern leftism and the Marxist war on everything. Indiscriminate violence and lawlessness in the name of justice, bitter racial hatred and divisiveness in the name of reconciliation, oppressive authoritarianism in the name of equality, proud sexual promiscuity and industrialized child sacrifice in the name of liberty. These are the strategies of anti-Christian, anti-conservative, progressive leftists for implementing their vision of society. The most inconvenient obstacles to the left's vision of social revolution are economic liberty, the proven institutions of traditional family, national patriotism, and Christianity and objective morality. To the extent that the constitution and justice system which preserves it also preserve objective morality, the left are pathologically opposed to them as well. Thus, the Supreme Court of the United States, SCOTUS for short, and its unique authority to bypass democracy presents both a threat and an opportunity for leftists who believe not in the supremacy of any court, constitution or God, but their own self-supremacy. Most Western legal systems have mutated from a philosophy of originalism to a philosophy of pragmatism, where judges indulge in decisions which they subjectively feel serve the greater good. It's a case of preferred political outcomes instead of legally correct decisions. Rather than serving as expositors of the law, leftists want SCOTUS to be a kind of super legislature. But constitutions aren't meant to fluidly change with the times, and certainly not via judicial activism. They didn't need to win the political arguments for abortion on demand or the undefinition of marriage. They simply bypassed the republic and democracy with their Supreme Court majority of judicial activists. The leftist agenda can be served by Supreme Court justices such as Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who absurdly imagined the 19th century writers of the 14th Amendment meant to protect the right to homosexual marriage. The left politically weaponized the judiciary but conservatives merely want it returned to its designed purpose as a limiter of the federal government and interpreter of the constitution. That's why it mattered that anyone other than Hillary Clinton made the next SCOTUS appointments. That's why it now matters that anyone other than Kamala Harris, I mean, Joe Biden, makes the next. The sacred cow leftists are most worried about the precedent of the Roe v. Wade case. They radically assert an absolute right for mothers to kill their children at any stage of development in the womb and for any reason as trivial as she doesn't want to be pregnant. However, even the 1973 Supreme Court, which made that bad law based on willfully ignorant science, disagreed with Rose's assertion of an absolute right to terminate pregnancy. The court attempted to balance the state's interests in the health of pregnant women and in the potential life, potential life of fetuses, pre-born living humans. It's inescapably true that Roe v. Wade is bad law, however unlikely, however unlikely it is that it will be explicitly overturned anytime soon, even if Trump gets a third SCOTUS justice confirmed. That is small comfort to rabid feminists who hold their asserted right to taxpayer-funded, 
child sacrifice as a sacred tenet of their pagan religion. Cast your mind back to the confirmation hearings for Brett Kavanaugh. Shameless character assassination, coincidentally convenient rape accusations, and all-out violent protests now mark the confirmation hearings of Republican president's nominees. It's become par for the course. Now add to the fact that Trump derangement syndrome reached 10 on the Richter scale the night Hillary Clinton lost in 2016, leaving them nowhere to go but ballistic ever since then, and the sustained, unhinged insanity of 2020, and no matter who Trump chooses this week, all hell will break loose again. Let's have a look at this. Holy you guys! I'm driving your car, but I just got a notification that Ruth Bader Ginsburg died! Could this year get any worse? Can you guys hear that okay? What a crazy, crazy lady. That's just uh, absolutely insane. She's going off her head, screaming hysterically because because uh, she's not going to have Ruth Bader Ginsburg on the Supreme Court. That's how much uh, leftists care uh, about their ability to control the Supreme Court. A meme was circulated last year and has been revived this week saying, I was raped by whoever Trump nominates to replace Justice Ginsburg. We'll have another look at that. I was raped by whoever Trump picks to replace Ginsburg on the Supreme Court. And another one along the same to uh, along the same lines. This mocks hysterical leftists who will stop at nothing to prevent the nomination of someone who doesn't serve their preferred political outcomes. America is at an existential crossroads. Again, the safety of the Constitution and with it the lives and liberty of, without exaggeration, millions of Americans depends on the strategic composition of the Supreme Court. A Republican administration will generally appoint constitutional originalists or textualists who are principally opposed to judicial activism. A Democrat administration will invariably throw everything, including the kitchen sink, into making sure the composition of SCOTUS is heavily tilted in their favour. The 2016 Democrat candidate, Hillary Clinton, told a Democrat audience she had a, a bunch of litmus tests for nominees and continued by naming precedents she would want her person to overturn and policies they should protect. That's what Democrats expect their guy to do, and that's why they expect no more integrity from Republican nominees. Democrat and Rhino objections, Rhino Republicans in name only, to Trump nominating and the Senate confirming a replacement for the late Ruth Bader Ginsburg before the election are irrelevant and unconstitutional. The Senate has every constitutional right to rush or delay confirmation hearings. Historically, presidents with a friendly Senate in election years have gotten cooperation and presidents with an opposed Senate have not. Obama's final nomination was not confirmed because he didn't enjoy a supportive Senate. There is no double standard, no departure from standard practice, no deviation from constitutional requirements. The front runner currently is Amy Coney Barrett. 
She's not even 50 yet, so a lifetime appointment could see her valuable vote preserving justice for at least 30 years. When Trump was considering the replacement for Anthony Kennedy, he allegedly said of Barrett, I'm saving her for Ginsburg. Given that Catholic Barrett is as staunchly pro-life as feminist Ginsburg was pro-abortion, you can guarantee leftists will stop at nothing to prevent her confirmation. Expect rioting and anarchy everywhere. Conveniently timed rape allegations will be harder to sell, so expect the character assassination to be Christophobic criticism of her Catholic faith. Huffington Post ran a story headlined, Apocalypse Now. I'll show you a little picture of that. Apocalypse Now with a picture of a coat hanger, which is meant to be a suggestion that without the right to kill their children in clinics, women will simply DIY. Leftists have already ramped up their rhetoric with calls for revolution, court packing, and to burn Congress down. Chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee, Lindsey Graham, said the Republican majority Senate will confirm the president's nomination before the election, which is their constitutional right. Democrat demagogue Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez argued on Twitter that Ruth Bader Ginsburg should be granted her dying wish to not be replaced until a new president is installed. 2024 seems like a long time to have to have a vacant SCOTUS seat, so it's fortunate that justices don't own their seats and can't bequeath them in their wills or control them beyond the grave. That would be unconstitutional. It's the role of the president to nominate and the Senate to advise and confirm or reject. There have been nine seats on the Supreme Court since the Judiciary Act of 1869. It's interesting that of the eight current justices, two were appointed by Trump, Kavanaugh and Gorsuch, two were appointed by President Obama, Kagan and Sotomayor, two were appointed by President George Bush Jr., Roberts and Alito, one was appointed by President Clinton, uh, Breyer, as well as RBG, who's now deceased, and one was appointed by President George Bush Sr., uh, Clarence Thomas. That's five Republican appointments with one more likely and three Democrat appointments. Now, don't get ahead of yourself. John Roberts, one of uh, George Bush Jr.'s nominations, is barely right of centre and has drifted slowly to the left in recent decisions, which means conservatives can only really expect four of the current eight to support their preferred outcomes. Trump certainly saved America from a progressive SCOTUS, but the important work to secure the Constitution for a few more decades is not yet done. It is imperative President Trump, Republicans and right-thinking voters let nothing stop them from conserving the integrity and independence of the powerful Supreme Court of the United States with an originalist, non-activist justice at every available opportunity. Well, joining me tonight, we have a great deal of very talented people. Uh, and the first I want to welcome to Palo Talk, uh, episode 26, I think we're in, is Senator Malcolm Roberts from One Nation Party. Welcome, Malcolm. It's great to have you back on again. Thank you very much, Dave, and it's good to be here. Uh, we also have uh, Good Source fellow commentator and uh, LNP member or national federal member for uh, the seat of, it's just escaped me right now, remind yes. me, Dawson, thank you, uh, up around Mackay and uh, Townsville in North Queensland, uh, MP George Christensen. Welcome, George. Thank you. 
And uh, one of my favourite Australian political writers, commentators and thinkers, uh, Stephen Shavura, Dr. Stephen Shavura. We always have to have the doctor on. Yeah. I would want it if, if I had it. Uh, welcome, Stephen. It's great to be here. It's good to see you all. We've got you... Oh, we've got a delay on your audio. That was about three seconds behind your lips moving, which is very clever. Um, and another doctor recently minted is uh, Dr. Debbie Garrett. Welcome, Debbie. Hi, Dave. Thank you. Good to be back. Uh, so um, the Malcolm Turnbull's NBN that we had to have hasn't quite reached your neck of the woods in, in Sydney, Stephen, or have you just opted out? Uh, no, actually, it's it, it, it just missed us by a couple of blocks. Oh, you're not going to get it? No, it doesn't look like it. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, I guess you're waiting waiting for a better offer. Uh, George, is this the beginning of the end or is it just going to be more, uh, more of the same rights that we've seen and America will survive, Trump will get his nomination and win a landslide victory on uh, November 4th? Well, that's a, an interesting question. Uh, I wish I could give you a firm answer. Um, and the fact that I'm actually answering it is, is not scary. I'm not one of those people that would say that, oh, you know, America's going to fall and, you know, America's on the wane. Um, but we are seeing this, uh, this insurrection within the country in itself, this leftist, leftist insurrection um, that that really has never got over the results of the 2016 election, and that, and that is that is why what is happening now is happening now. Um, this um, the death of, of Justice Ginsburg is is the flashpoint, um, you know, and and really, what does it boil down to? Well, it boils down to one thing: that uh, changing the Supreme Court could overturn Roe v. Wade, mm. and. Uh, Donald Trump has been the most pro-life president that America has seen in quite some time. Uh, it offends the sensibilities of the left. It's one of those touchstone issues for American politics, for Australian politics, for it, for you know, for everyone just about. Mm. And uh, uh, you know, this is what this fight will be now over. And uh, I noticed those memes that you put up earlier. It's going to be hard to suggest that uh, that Amy. Uh, Kami Barrett raped someone. It's uh, going to be very, very difficult for the same type of slander that we saw targeted at uh, Brett Kavanaugh, targeted at her, um, but they will. I mean, the stuff we have seen from the left in America, talking about burning down the Supreme Court, talking down, burning down the Senate, storming the Senate, uh, not just talking about it stuff, but people gathering outside the homes of senators. Yeah. Uh, McConnell and protesting. This is absolute and utter thuggery of the likes that we have not witnessed in Western democracies for quite some time. Now, uh, I don't want to get too philosophical and I need to let other people speak. So let me wrap up with this. Um, people should go and have a look at an article uh, on First Things magazine, uh, firstthings.com, I think you can find it as at. And, and, and the article was about the the death of liberalism and uh i'll just pull up the title of the article actually suicide of the liberals written by a fellow i don't know much about him but gary saw mawson but i read that and it just shows that history repeats itself um 
and I never knew the 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 basis of the Russian Revolution, where 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 it all come from, where where how did communism get to be where it was, you know, to go from a a Tsarist uh, monarchy uh, through to uh, the Russian Revolution. You read that story, and you read what happened in Russia. I got to say, there's eerily eerily similar traits and events going on. I am very, very worried right now for the future of Western civilization, like I have never been before. Malcolm, are you worried for the future of Western civilization? I am concerned about the death of freedom. I, I don't see these issues as left versus right. There are so many uh, poor definitions of left and poor definitions of right. They become intermingled at times. I always see it as a, def as a battle between freedom and control. And what we see mm -hmm. in, in the United States are elements of control trying to take over. As George just said, and I quite often agree with George. I like George a lot. He gets the basic point. These people have been on the march and brooding for this. They just needed a Trump, Trumped up, that's not the right word. They just need a fabricated excuse to, uh, yep. well, Trump might be the word, um, to, to unleash their their vile uh, on other people. But these people are about control. They knew they could control right. her. She's one of their people, uh, one of their agents for destroying America. Trump is actually doing what he said he would do. And Trump is standing up and rebuilding America. And he's done a marvelous job economically, socially, morally. We, we know he's portrayed as a as someone who, who doesn't, who tells lies and so on. But quite often that's the press. And he is very colorful um, and he's easily mis misinterpreted. But he's doing what is needed to put America back uh, bring America back, and, and they, they're not liking that because they don't want America. America has stood, ever since it was formed, it has stood for freedom, and it has been a beacon for, um, for, for the world, and, and that's why they're against this. This effort that they're doing is really about being anti-human. It's not just anti-America, it's anti-human. It's, it's exactly. anti-freedom. It's about control. And what they do, we've discussed this before, Dave, on your show, The Eight Steps to, to Getting Control, um, what they're doing here is just um, pretending there are victims, concocting victims, and then pretending to help those victims, but they're actually hurting those victims by perpetuating the victim status, which is demoralizing for those victims. And, and, and then it's creating perpetrators or, or uh, people who should be feeling guilty for the victims and they're not. So it's, it's just based on fabrication of lies, the same as Roe versus Wade, it's not based on science uh, and so much of our society. And the real death, George, I see, is the death of reason and the death of death of logic and the death of data. Quite often, George knows this, um, federal parliaments, state parliaments are pushing laws through that are not based on data at all, not based on scientific evidence. Mm, They're based sure. on ideologies and misrepresentations of the science. They invoke science, but it's not science. And That's so right. we're just pushing the ideology. George knows that. And, uh, and we Feeling need to get government, governance based on reason. Feelings over facts prevails today. <laughs> well said, George. Yeah, we've actually seen that in American politics uh, recently with uh, Joe Biden um, uh, basically making his campaign line something along the lines of, I believe in science. Um, and <laughs> it's like we, we all do, Joe. Um, we just disagree with your interpretation of, of some of the evidence that you uh, have cherry-picked. Um, so we all believe in science. Uh, it's not a campaign policy. It's, it's a motherhood statement. Uh, Stephen, what's your read of the possible directions, paths 
um, that Trump's Supreme Court nomination uh, can can go. Yeah, well, I mean, it's 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 hard to tell exactly what's going to happen. There's no doubt that he's going to put uh, put the, the name of um, Barrett uh, uh, Barrett uh, through. Uh, that's that she's the one that he wants. Um, now, I was I did a little bit of research before, and I found out that um, from 1975, the average number of days uh, between a president making his nomination of who should go on SCOTUS, and then that nomination being um, uh, approved by the Senate is 67 days. So um, in actual fact, if, if he does it a little bit faster than it normally has, it's actually quite feasible that he could get this mm. done, um, you know, you know you know, quite, you know, quite soon. Um, now, the, the question is, you know, will there be a, um, you know, what will the public reaction to that be? It, it, you may actually find that it is the occasion of more riots. I think there's, it'd be, it'd be very hard to, to deny that. I think there are a few things that are, that are, that are some things that are definitely going to be the occasion of renewal of riots. So if, um, uh, if the, the police officer Chauvin, uh, Chauvin is um, exonerated or acquitted, sorry, for um, the crime of killing George Floyd, uh, then that's going to lead to an eruption of violence all around America. If Trump gets elected uh, in November, that will definitely lead to uh, riots all around America. Um, Ruth, uh, yeah, uh, Trump being able to appoint another uh, conservative to SCOTUS, it, it wouldn't surprise me. Um, yeah, I'm not too sure about that, though. Uh, but I mean, like like the others, I'm very, very worried about the, the future of America. And just earlier, someone mentioned ideology. And I, and I think this is one of those periods in history where the, the the influence of ideology coming out of universities is really obvious. It is really obvious. Um, these rioters are not people who are upset with the direction that American institutions are going. These are people that want to tear down the institutions altogether. These, these people literally are radicals. They are revolutionaries. Uh, they see nothing of any redeeming quality in the in long-standing american institutions in long-standing american practices which is why they probably won't even care that much if biden is elected which may mean that the only way that democrats can try to keep them on side is by going even further to the left but the, the people on the streets and i would even say a lot of the protesters uh, as opposed to the rioters that these people are radicals they just want to tear everything down um, and when you listen to the language they use, it's straight out of universities, it's straight out of whiteness theory, sort of things like white privilege and things like that. This really has all the earmarks of, of the influence of ideology on society. Debbie, uh, the specialty you've done your PhD, PhD doctoral um, thesis in was uh, manipulative discourse theory, um, which is a theory you've come up with. And uh, the minute you start explaining it, um, the average person uh, right of Chairman Mao can recognise it in, in most of conversations that go on with anything that's slightly controversial or, or debated. Um, give us a, a brief summary of that and how you see that playing out in the abortion debate in America, and and especially the debate now, which which is already erupting and will continue to explode over um, 
Trump's opportunity to add another conservative to the Supreme Court. Sure. Um, well, I, I've actually been um, surprised at how many people have picked up the theory just through social media. I embargoed my thesis because I wanted to control how um, the information was disseminated and I'm almost finished book to get a book out in the public. So the theory is called alarmist gatekeeping and uh, it was developed, as you said, on the uh, dominant discoursing on abortion in Australia. And during, even during its development, one of my supervisors who is US-based was saying, you know, I don't know if you really even want to go down this path. You, this is so powerful. And I wasn't actually seeing it. And I think it's not until more recently that I've been putting it out on social media and people have been saying, hey, this fits my work on the gendered narrative of domestic violence. And this fits my work around uh, gender, ideo on, uh, gender ideology. And so what I'm seeing is that what I've looked at in relation to how the dominant discoursing of abortion developed and how it's currently maintained through this process that I've called alarmist gatekeeping, which mm. controls what's allowed um, and who's allowed to speak and what happens to those who dissent, uh, is um, happened over a long period of time, but it's now happening in very short periods of time on these other very ideologically uh, driven issues. Do you think there's any chance that people will be, um, I guess, able to be reasoned with? Um, how is this going to uh, be applied uh, in, in the Senate uh, confirmation hearings? Um, I, I, I'm not sure you reason with the left. I'm also a bit, you know, whether it's left or right, you know, the, the fact is there's no um, rationale for uh, the ideological arguments against some of these controversial or, or more conservative, well, I, I don't even think they're conservative. Ten years ago, I would have considered myself maybe a little right of centre. Now I'm, you know, apparently a far right um, you know, <laughs> wing nut, uh, which, you know, not quite sure how that happened. Um, but uh, it, it wasn't there you. Is no, yeah, there is no rationale here to be had. And as, um, as the others have been talking about, it's it, people are wanting, the radicals are wanting to break everything down. They don't have any solutions for building anything to replace what they're trying mm. to break down. And it's the same with all the arguments around things like abortion and, and gender ideology and domestic violence and all of those things. Um, it, as soon as you pin someone down, and I think, look, you and I uh, saw that today on Twitter, Dave. You know, the minute you try to pin someone down with a rationale for what they put forward, the discrediting begins. You know, someone, yep. you know, moves into name calling, and that, yeah. of course, is Very what's quickly. going to happen. Yeah, absolutely, and that's what's going to happen uh, over in the states. It won't. I don't think it will matter what Trump decides to do. Um, and in fact, you know, I'm kind of with Stephen a bit there. I think he said it won't even matter if Trump doesn't get elected. The radicals have built this kind of, you know, life of their own. And I'm not sure that they'll suddenly be able to come to a stop and say, oh, OK, we didn't get Trump. We'll stop this now. Something more dramatic has to happen. And I think that has to happen with the middle majority because the middle majority is, are not the radicals. They simply don't see the power in the numbers that they have, and that's something we need to work on.
Yeah. Can I? Can I jump in with a question, please, of Debbie? Yes. Go ahead. Thank you, De Debbie. Isn't it also? It's not only the the gatekeepers, the alarmist gatekeepers. They're not only about who control the controlling who speaks. It's controlling how they speak and reshaping who speaks. So Absolutely. misrepresenting. It, it's I mean, it's complete domination of the language, the discourse, and it's done through the media, as we know, and also through the universities and the academics and, and even schools these days. So it doesn't matter what is said. And doesn't it, that, that's the first question. And the second question is, doesn't it really indicate insecurity? Because if they have to control the dialogue um, and, and, and control even the message, regardless of who speaks, then aren't they insecure in what they're saying and their position? Whereas, whereas I and you would be quite comfortable to disagree. It doesn't reflect on me. It's just my, just my thoughts at the moment. Absolutely. And that's the tenuousness of the position. And that's why there's so much inconsistency in the discourse around controversial yeah. issues, such as abortion, for example. Um, you know, I, I'm been working, editing a chapter on language and how the control of language has become huge around or has been huge for some time around abortion. But just going through, you know, perhaps a, a, a letter from the Women's Electoral Lobby that was written to New South Wales Parliament in 2016, where they are talking, uh, they're um, uh, writing a letter in opposition to what at the time was a proposed bill of Zoe's law. And you read through the language, they talk about the importance of language, but they, even they move from baby to unborn child to fetus right through a letter where they would also condemn someone else for referring to a fetus as an unborn baby. And so there's this real inconsistency that tells you that they're, they're actually really confused themselves. And we're seeing this control of language in, you know, in gender stuff at the moment with trying to control removal of women, for example, from language. And, you know, I wrote an article about that um, at Dave's prompting uh, during the week. The control of language is really significant. Language is really, really powerful. I think the disturbing thing to me is um, how legislation is being changed based on so much disinformation and manipulation of the truth. Uh, and manipulation to politicians that they're actually representing the majority when they're not. And that's one of the things, that's one of the key things I think that I found in relation to the development of this theory around abortion is how we need to start unpacking how did, how was abortion decriminalised based on the fact that women needed more access to abortion when in fact the majority of women were saying they didn't even realise abortion was in a criminal code and no one's ever had problem getting access and mm. decriminalising it has not improved that. But state after state after state have perpetuated the same kind of basis for changing these laws. Um, so, yeah, we, we need to start unpacking some of that, which is what, I'm, which is what I've been doing, uh, to redress some of those things that have been based on lies, basically. Absolutely. Go ahead, George. Unpack some yeah. of the philosophy for us as well. Well, look, what I was going to say is that uh, that whole theory that I just heard, you know, absolutely and utterly rings true. Uh, very much looking forward to that book that you're talking about uh, that you're going to release then. I think it'll be most enlightening. And, and we do see it going on with this issue of the Supreme Court pick because I just go back to it. It is not real. Uh, look, let's... Um, uh, let's just say that the tables were turned. Of course, people would be saying 
well, you know, the Democrat president should wait until after the election from the Republican side. Of course, uh, Republicans would be making that argument. Of course, Republicans in the Senate would probably be, uh, you know, voting uh, no against their pick. But what you wouldn't have would be just the 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 outrage, um, the incessant. Uh, it's it's just craziness. Actually, mm. it is most disturbing what we're seeing, um, and not just the talk, but the actions, the riots, the proposed riots, uh, it will happen. It will happen without a doubt. And so that is what is very much a, diff a different uh, scenario here to if this was playing out in reverse. And I think um, uh, the statements that have been made are right, that it even, uh, and I look, I think it's going to play well into Trump's hands. I think that uh, if there's riots that start breaking out, well, you've just added another voter every right that you have, another probably a 1,000 voters every right that you have to the Trump camp, and that's probably understating it. But um, even if there is a change, um, it's not going to matter a fig. I go back to that that article that I talked about. Um, it's just my, you have to read it. It's most enlightening. There was a, um, a particular party that was a minority uh liberal party is in a minority democratic socialist party uh within the russian legislature at the time um I, I i can't recall what the party was called off the top of my head but uh uh, uh i think it was the cadets actually anyway um any help were, from our historian uh, Stephen? They, uh, they, they were demanding uh, no no i'm I, yeah all yours george you're on your own so, so I'm pretty sure it was the cadets. Anyway, they, they were demanding basically the reforms that the protests out in the street were and the rioters were pushing for. And um, at the end of the day, uh, the government said, look, we'll give you everything. We'll give you everything that you want. We'll, we'll legislate the whole program. And they still didn't care. It was like, no, we've got to maintain this rage against the system. Mm. So... Um, you know, after all of the, the bourgeoisie, all of the ruling class basically swallowed the bitter pill, they had flipped. They'd gone completely uh, over to the side of the leftists, uh, you know, and the rhetoric that they were espousing. They were controlling what they were saying, controlling what other people were saying. They made all the changes and the left just swept into power. The revolution happened. And you know what? All of those useful idiots to get where they were were still killed they were expelled because they weren't purists they were just yep. useful idiots to get uh, to where the marxists wanted just having a look through the comments um here um i think we've put um, all the good ones up there's a few private conversations going on uh there's a a bit of an old pearly here i don't know if he's being sarcastic um uh, or not hard to tell um, supreme court picks yeah, hopefully it is women's business. So be it. It's only Cody Barrett's business. <laughs> uh, look, uh, just a, a, um, a. I actually want to wrap this topic up. We we can come back to it in overtime, but I want to move on to Queensland uh, politics. Um, is there anything else from anybody in the panel? Do you want to jump in um, before we move on a little bit? I just want to give that space. Hands up. Going, is going. There any, is there any any chance at all, Dave? Of of getting people's comments on why don't we take a more proactive stance on this because 
um, people on the freedom side of politics, which is everyone on your show tonight, um, are quite comfortable with having someone disagree with us, correct? Yeah. We don't have to control what, what someone else thinks just because they happen to disagree, have a different view. So mm. why, why don't we start portraying that reality? That, that's, what, that's what drives a control side of politics. They're, they're, not, um, they're not assertive. They're not self-confident. They're actually very lacking confidence. They're very insecure because yep. I'm not defined by what Debbie thinks of me or what George thinks of me. I'm defined uh, by, by other things entirely. And, and so why should I so, care? So what's your uh, idea? How do we practically do what you're suggesting? We go on the front foot and just call out their insecurity rather right. than just sitting back. And, and, you know, people can, when, when, we, when we say something, like people go, oh, of course, it's so obvious, but it's not obvious until it's called out. So I'm, I'm just thinking we should do more to be proactive, get on the front foot with these people because they're destroying our society. Yeah, there was, uh, I think Debbie alluded to one of the um, people that was replying to the, the, the Twitter thread announcing tonight's show um, who, who was, um, she was, uh, I can't remember what she said, but she ended up saying something about, oh, thanks for mansplaining. Um, and I'm like, uh, sorry, I thought, thought we were having a discussion. Um, but, hey, why don't you do some femsplaining and uh, you can try and put together a coherent apologetic for abortion and I'll listen. All you have to do is be logical, factual, evidence-based, sincere and civil. Uh, if you can manage that, you'd be the first. Um, this is what Debbie's talking about. I mean, the whole standard of debate, and it's been driven by Twitter, has just degenerated into ad hominem attacks. We all fall victim to it time to time. Twitter's uh, but, a symptom of it, and and, uh, and there's probably a feedback loop there as well. But as we can see, it's, it's I mean, on what, the street. Retort is mansplaining. I mean, it, it means absolutely nothing. Well, what it is is what Malcolm's talking about. It's the manifestation of the insecurity of, of these people. I, I think I told her that she was uh, manifesting a egocentric, narcissistic need to be right or, or frustrated by an inability to admit she was wrong. Um, just to encounter new information. Um, and, you know, <laughs> perfectly reasonable thing to say. It's like, just oh, like, I mean, it's simply, it's simply the throw, it's the throwaway demeaning term that the feminists yeah. use when men aren't saying what they want them to say. Um, you know, it's just, uh, it, it's, it's offensive to me, you know, well, offensive, I don't know, I'm, even the word offensive has just become ridiculous, hasn't it? Yes. Um, but it, it, it speaks of the fact that the person has nothing sensible to say. Right. They've run out of rationale. The minute I get an, and you know, and I've, le I've learned to manage social media really, really effectively. I get one insulting or one discrediting, one demeaning thing. I may give one further explanation of what I'm saying or a thank you or and then I politely exit. And on, on Twitter, I don't never block anyone. I mute people. Yep. So they don't know that I'm not seeing anything they're saying. They just think I'm really, really, really good at ignoring them, yep. which, of course, <laughs> would be difficult if I could see them. Um, so but every time someone is reduced to that discrediting, we know that they have no rationale. We know that they're not standing on any kind of firm ground and that what we're saying threatens that. And that, that's a bit like what you were saying before about them being insecure. I don't mind if people disagree with me. I don't mind being open to other ideas. 
because I know what my rationale is. I know what my foundation is. I know mm. it's evidence-based. And, you know, it, it's not a threat to me in any way to hear another person's view. Yeah. It's quite different for the others, yeah. Um, so Rachel Thanhauser asks a, a question, which is kind of off topic, um, but it's civil and sincere and related, and so we're going to just ask it. Uh, and she asks, in a culture pushing mental health literacy, when does offence become harm and legitimately so? Debbie, how would you briefly answer that? We'll leave just this one for you. Um, I, I think this whole notion of offence is actually, the whole notion of offence is causing mental health harm at the moment. The idea that we can mm. be offended by people's words or offended by someone else's opinion is contributing to mental health harm. Um, you know, you know I, I, I'm not I, offended I, by someone disagreeing with me, but the radical people are offended by that and that is a mental health issue in and of itself. And the more we perpetuate that, the more we, the more we pander to it. And it, it leads to things like the changing in language. So, for example, removing the word women from uh, <laughs> toilet blocks or from from abortion provision, for goodness sake, as Murray Stopes did, because yes. they don't want to offend 0.02% of the population yep. who, you know, don't identify as women. That... That, it, that creates mental health harm um, and it's pandering to someone who already has a mental health uh, problem in that regard. So this whole notion of defence, we need to, we have, we're, we're not allowing people to develop any kind of resilience, really. Um, yep. and, and, you know, and it's across the ages as well. It's not just young people. I see women my age. I'm looking around at, you know, middle-aged women like me and um, who are buying into this into this rhetoric and I'm thinking you know we, I, I don't I don't understand some some of how they fall into it mm. perfect well I want to uh, just invite everyone to go to goodsource.news uh, every day for daily videos and podcasts by Australia's leading conservative commentators uh, such as Debbie Garrett there's an article there from her you'll be able to have a look at um, there we go there it is Australia's biggest abortion for profit corporation cancels women um, with this <laughs> absurd little um, thing about men with uteruses, as, as she was just referring to. Um, but yeah, look, uh, we'd love to have you getting all the information that we can. We're basically providing the acoustic treatment for the corporate media echo chamber. And if you would like to become a monthly supporter, you will help us create uh, more shows like this. We're producing a new show every day and, and lots of articles. Uh, and we're the only conservative website in Australia that is providing that um, that information, that content in multiple uh, media options, video, podcast, and um, written articles that you can read for multiple, personal, uh, multiple um, conservative commentators. Uh, we've got multiple personality order. Um, so <laughs> that's a good thing. Um, a couple more comments. Um, Chris Hewitt says one person disagreeing with you is okay but the pylon attack has led to suicide uh, no doubt um, bullying can can lead to people um, being desperately un unhappy and, and suicidal that's that's well established um, but I think you're right Debbie that um, that even the notion that we should be upset has been pushed so much that 
um, people are basically taking it as a uh, as a good idea. But there's a difference between being upset about an idea, which is uh, a debating point, mm. and the difference between being upset at that and being upset at personal attacks. Uh, they are two very, very different things. And I think that's what we've got to separate here. Once you get into the, the personal attack space, well, you, you've lost the argument already, but you can actually yep. do grave psychological harm to people, um, putting you know stuff out there on the internet or on whatever forum that you're putting it out there that's yep. attacking their reputation or attacking their person. Um, and, and, you know, it, 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 there's laws against that. Mm. Um, slander and defamation and uh and and you know there's online bullying laws that uh, try to protect our children yeah but you know laws that are against the ideas the uh, the concept that hearing an idea can offend you mm. just absolutely <clears throat> crazy it is indeed well uh i want to move on to the topic of um of abortion in Queensland. The Queensland election is coming up. Um, I think we've got two Queensland guests on so far. Senator Malcolm Roberts is Sen Senator for Queensland and uh, George, your electorate's obviously in Queensland. You knew that. I was just saying it for everybody else's benefit. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I think we're a bit further away than that, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, well, Sydney may be closer to me than, uh, than Townsville, but um, uh, yeah, uh, anyway. Uh, I spoke with uh, Dr. Christian Rowan, MP. Uh, he's a member for Mogul earlier today and uh, just asked him because One Nation have a fantastic uh, right to life policy uh, and so does the Cata Party. Uh, and just like it's going to be a very important election issue in America, it needs to be and will be a very important election issue uh, in, in Queensland. And uh, I firmly believe that in this generation, we will make pro-abortion candidates as rare as pro-slavery candidates. But let's have a uh, look at, at uh, what Christian Rowan has to say about the LNP's policy on uh, the right to life. No sound, Dave. There's no sound there. Not that I can hear. No. No, I can't hear it either. Uh, my mistake. I had that muted. We'll restart it. We only missed nine seconds. Here we go. Important nine seconds. Dr. Christian Rowan, thank you so much for joining Hello Talk this evening. You've got four shadow portfolios uh, in the Queensland government. Uh, remind me what they are. Well, thanks for having me, Dave. So I'm um, Shadow uh, Minister for Communities, uh, Disability Services and Seniors, and also uh, Shadow Minister for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Partnerships and Shadow Minister for the Arts. Brilliant. Uh, does that keep you busy? Absolutely. So um, between being the uh, the state member for Mogul and having those four shadow uh, those four shadow portfolio areas and and uh, having four children and all of those things, it's wow. uh, it's pretty busy. Yeah, yeah. So it's um. It's, it's a busy time, and obviously, with the state election only being um, 39 days away, it's uh, it's a busy time, even an even busier time. It is, yeah. And uh, we've just been talking about the United States election, which is only a few more days away. That both uh, very important elections for Queenslanders, at least, to watch. American politics certainly has an impact on much of the West. 
Um, now, one of the huge topics that I certainly um, will be deciding my vote on is, and, and I encourage everybody else to make as one of their, their uh, deal breaker issues, is the human rights and justice issue of abortion. Uh, and the uh, Jackie Trad Palaszczuk government uh, brought in some of the world's worst and most repressive abortion laws for any reason at any stage uh, on demand with taxpayer funding and doctors unable to uh, opt out of, of that process. Um, we've, in recent weeks on Palaszczuk Talk, had a talk with Pauline Hanson about uh, her policy for One Nation in the Queensland election um, on the topic of life. And they've actually got a policy called Right to Life. And and CADA, likewise, their party, uh, believes in recruiting um, candidates. Um, and, and it's a lot easier to do, granted, with a, a much smaller party. Um, but very, very robust options for people. And, and I would always encourage viewers to voters um, to examine candidates, not parties, um, but survey. And, and part of the process of influencing politics is letting the candidates know what the issues are that you want them fighting for. Uh, and they may fail or succeed to to meet that bar, but it's actually influential to communicate what that bar is, is for you and let them pass that back on to the party. Um, but I've invited you on tonight, and, and thank you so much for agreeing to articulate for us the LNP's policy and position and and what you're bringing to the table for Queensland voters who are looking to make pro-abortion candidates a thing of the past. What we've seen, uh, Dave, in the last five years in, in Queensland is a failed government. Um, the Palaszczuk State Labor government has failed Queensland uh, economically and socially over the last uh, five years. I mean, even before COVID-19 here in Queensland, debt was reaching $91.8 billion. We had unemployment well over 6%, with Queensland being the state with the highest level of unemployment, the most number of business bankruptcies, and also the lowest level of business confidence. And that's only got worse throughout the COVID pandemic. So the government in Queensland was woefully unprepared for the pandemic and the crisis that we've seen. And that's meant you know, consequences for families, for individuals, for their working life um, and, and for their future uh, prospects uh, when it comes to securing their future. But as you've alluded to, uh, the Labor government here in Queensland uh, introduced some of the most draconian uh, termination of pregnancy or abortion laws uh, that we've seen. Um, and these laws uh, were, are and have been terrible. Uh, they're certainly not in the best interests of women's um, welfare. Um, and that's why that the LNP has given a commitment to reviewing uh, these laws. Now, whilst uh, the LNP has said we won't recriminalise uh, abortion again, but we are very concerned about uh, the gestational uh, limits that have been applied, uh, the fact that there's not um, independent uh, counselling uh, and that there aren't uh, protections for women, particularly around abortion uh, coercion, um, and that women can be very vulnerable in some uh, domestic uh, violence uh, situations. Uh, so these laws are not in the best interests of women. They're clearly not in the best interests of, uh, of the, of the uh, newborn um, or those uh, other you know, people across Queensland who are facing very difficult circumstances and decisions. Um, and the LNP has given a firm commitment that we will be reviewing uh, those aspects uh, of this most draconian and heinous 
uh, legislation um, introduced uh, by Labor and supported by the Greens. Um, and here in Queensland, we need to have a mature government, a government that provides you know, economic leadership, but also uh, social leadership and has good evidence-based policy, which is uh, in the interests of all Queenslanders. And that's certainly what the Liberal National Party uh, will do. So leading up to this election on the 31st of October, which is only 39 uh, days away. This is the most important election in a generation. Um, it's uh, it's very important that people understand that elections matter. Uh, who you elect, who you put into the parliament uh, matters, uh, because at the end of the day, those people then decide um, the legislation and the policy framework. Um, and, uh, and that's why I'm running for re-election again to ensure that we get a good government here in Queensland and I believe the Liberal National Party can deliver for, for Queensland both economically and socially. The most important election in a generation is, uh, is actually a consistent theme uh, nowadays. It was said at the last election when we knew the uh, Trad Palaszczuk government was going to introduce uh, heinous um, abortion laws, pro-abortion laws, um, it was the same uh, the the election before, but it's no less true. Uh, it's it's no less true. I mean, certainly at this election we've got the imperative to undo the harms of that grossly permissive legislation, which, as you said, contains zero protection for women women at all. It, it's the most anti women legislation I believe I've ever seen, uh, and certainly in a Western democracy. But at the same time, it's also a foregone conclusion and absolute certainty that if re-elected, the Queensland Labor government intends fully to liberalise euthanasia laws as well, uh, no longer valuing life, it seems, at, at any stage. Uh, and we've just seen in Victoria recently that uh, while believing they were implementing world's best laws with world's best safeguards, a... An elderly lady, unfortunately, in uh, Victoria, uh, has taken her life under Daniel Andrews' permissive euthanasia laws, um, believing, uh, fearing for the pain she might cause. She wasn't even in pain. She did have cancer and she was in a nursing home. She was very depressed and, and sick of being locked down. But it, it wasn't even actual pain that she was in, which, uh, you know, apparently this is called a safeguard. Uh, so, most important election in a generation, absolutely. Yet again, uh, we have to come and hold the line and find a politician uh, to represent us in the state parliament where these laws are made who will defend life. Uh, what's the LNP's policy on euthanasia? Well, the Liberal National Party at the last uh, convention, the Liberal National Party's policy position was uh, to not support uh, voluntary assisted uh, dying. That was, you know, confirmed at the convention um, once again uh, on that side. And the Liberal National Party believes that we need a greater investment in palliative care services, evidence-based palliative Tentable. care services, and that's, where, and that's where the conversation really needs to be. Hundred um, percent. Again, access and availability to, to good palliative care, multidisciplinary services with medical and nursing, uh, social workers, and that regardless of where people live in Queensland, that they get access. So whether they're in remote, rural, regional or urban Queensland, um, they've got mm. uh, good quality access to those services. And that's where there's been a, a paucity of, of funding by the current um, government here in Queensland over the last five years. They haven't had a clear strategy to invest in palliative care. And again, 
whilst we're having a conversation about many of these these social policy issues, um, we need to go back to the to the economic aspects because without sound economic management by government, you can't invest in those services, uh, and that's mm. why it's vitally important that that we elect a government on the 31st of October that can provide sound economic management so that we can then invest in the vital services that we need, and whether that be additional uh, funding into palliative care, whether it be investing in our hospitals, our schools, building the, the roads that we need, ensuring water security, uh, developing a clear and cohesive uh, strategy to not only create jobs but protect jobs, all of those things are, are, are important. Um, and so the Liberal National Party uh, believes that, uh, that that's where our focus should be uh, and we should be supporting uh, people who need uh, access yep. to, to good palliative care, getting that. Now, now we know that these are very you know, difficult and distressing issues and the people who are suffering with, with, with terminal illness and they, you know, they have you know, cancer or, or terminal diseases, it's a very, it's a very difficult time, but, but the Liberal National Party wants to ensure that they get good evidence-based services and they're given the, the, the proper support that they need. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you for that answer. Um, it wasn't something I warned you we would, we would talk about, so apologies for that. Um, back to abortion. The language about we're going to review policies could be perceived by some uh, more sceptical people as perhaps a little bit slippery with lots of wiggle room for nothing to happen. Um, and, and certainly, um, while credit for good intentions is, is due, we've seen plenty of conservative governments fail to wind back uh, really, really bad abortion laws. And Victorian government is probably a perfect example. Not that uh, anybody in the Queensland Parliament or, or parties are responsible for what goes on in Victoria at all. Um, I guess I'm wanting some some reassurance, some confirmation for those people who are a little bit sceptical that that language uh, is got some wiggle room in it uh, about reviews. Can can you detail what the goals of those reviews would be? Is there a a fundamental uh, position and philosophy in the LNP parliamentary party? that the current laws are actually toxic, abusive, dangerous, and as a matter of urgency need to be changed and remedied uh, in the next term of parliament. And the only question is what the actual details look like. So, Dave, I, I would say it's it's an ironclad guarantee. I think there is wide acceptance and understanding, most importantly, that these laws that Labor has introduced uh, are draconian. Uh, they're certainly not in the best interests or welfare of, of women um, and that there are many fundamental uh, flawed aspects when it comes to gestational limits, um, the risk of uh, not having um, independent uh, counselling, the fact that people can be uh, coerced into having a termination and there are not protections against domestic violence. So I think that there's a broad uh, acceptance and understanding um, of the risk that these uh, draconian laws uh, posed to women um, in Queensland. Um, and so with that, uh, that's why the Liberal National Party has said that we would be uh, reviewing that and trying to sort uh, this out uh, because it's clearly gone too far and these laws um, are well in keeping uh, out of step with, uh, with community expectations or what the reasonable person uh, would accept. And certainly when you look at the laws that exist here when compared with uh, with other jurisdictions, um, you know, internationally um, and, and also around Australia. Now, um, 
Queensland, well, Queensland Labor really adopted what uh, Victoria Labor uh, has done. They've really been using the same modus operandi here in Queensland as, as has been the case in Victoria. And Victoria is a complete basket case, both economically and, and socially. Uh, the government down there has completely lost the plot uh, and they are, are certainly facing many challenges. And I think the people of Victoria are well and truly uh, seeing uh, the socialist and in some respects, you know, nearly communist government operating down there in Victoria. And the last thing that Queenslanders need uh, is that to continue beyond uh, the 31st of October this year uh, in a similar way in Queensland. Yep. Thank you for those reassurances. It's uh, it's good to know it's, it's, it's uh, yeah, that's such a strong commitment uh, because, uh, yeah, what we're certainly looking for, at least viewers of this show largely, uh, for protections for women, as as you've uh, rightly highlighted, being completely abused uh, in this incompetent and um, draconian legislation. Good choice of words. Dr Christian Rowan, um, member for Mogul, thank you so much for your time on Pello Talk today. Thanks so much, Dave. And just one one final plea to your, to your viewers as well is that they really need to be uh, motivated and to be thinking about what they can do leading into this, uh, leading into this election because... I'm always a believer in the power of one uh, and what one individual can do. And I know people have got busy lives, you know, they're working, they're looking after their own mm. families, they've got a range of things. But uh, if I could just say to them, you know, now is the time leading into this next Queensland state election for everyone to be thinking about what they can do to ensure that their future is bright, not only for themselves, but for their families, for children and for grandchildren, and that we have good government restored here in Queensland to achieve both great uh, economic and social outcomes for all Queenslanders. Uh, I'll add uh, my endorsement to that. Um, please do get involved. Please don't say you're too busy. It literally is a matter of life and death for at least 10, maybe 20,000 Queensland babies a year, uh, not to mention all the other issues that are also very, very important, but literally a matter of life and death. And uh, many hands make light work. We, we need to care about the next generation as well as the next term of parliament. Um, thank you. Thank you, Christian. Thanks very much. Well, joining me now is uh, being added to the panel is uh, Julie Robinson. Um, welcome back, everybody. And uh, Julie, thank you for joining uh, Pello Talk me, tonight. Um, now, I have to say that uh, just so everybody knows, Julie is not an MP and has no official uh, position herself, but she is married to one of uh, Queensland's best Conservative MPs. Uh, the Honourable Dr. Mark Robinson, uh, member for Ujuru. Um, do I say that right? You did. Or close enough? Very well. Oh, very good. Uh, now, do you have any party positions, uh, like um, at conference time or in women's branches, etc., Julie? Yeah, look, um, I'm, I can't be a spokesman for the LNP. I am Correct. a women's... Yeah, I am a women's regional chair, yeah. um, and so I do sit on state council, and that yeah. gives me an opportunity um, to represent the views of our women um, and to put up motions at those um, events. And, and that's then, what I wanted to invite you on for tonight was, uh, A, you, you're actually professionally qualified and very well informed on the abortion issue. Uh, this is what you do with a, a great vast quantity of volunteer hours in your private life and, and professional life. Um, but you've taken that interest um, without being a politician 
uh, and you've basically said, how can I join the LNP and be an influencer? And, and this is, I think, one of the very important things uh, that right-thinking people need to do. Yes, we have to get involved, find a, and, and do our own personal research of the candidates in our electorate, the people who are asking us to vote for them, and and choose the best person, as well as by our communication, influence them on, on how they can better represent us and, and earn our vote. But then the opportunity to actually join one of the major parties and uh, help pre-select better candidates as well as influence their policies, something that, that Dr. Christian Rowan was was just referring to just then of, of what the conference actually um, achieves. And, and so um, just give us a look, just a very few minutes brief summary of, of how easy or hard it is to get um, good policy adopted by the LNP. Mm, thank you, Dave. Um, there's a number of different ways that you can influence policy um, through the LNP or and perhaps through other parties too. I'm not exactly sure how all the machines work there, but particularly mm. in the LNP, by becoming a member, um, you have a voting right at your branch um, meetings. You have um, opportunities to put forward your ideas. And if I can encourage um, people who are watching here tonight, your area of expertise is really needed. Whatever you do, whether you're a mum at home, whether you're a teacher, you're a doctor, you're a lawyer, whatever you're doing, you have significant expertise and um, that expertise should be shared and can be um, influential in forming party policy. So um, it's not difficult. If you want to do a little bit more than attend as a member and put up your ideas, you can also join a policy committee um, where you can do further research and engage with other people around the table working on the same issues. Um, every year, the LNP holds a state convention. We haven't this year with COVID, um, but we hold yep. a state convention and motions can be put forward to debate and those um, motions will be passed or, or not passed and those that are passed are meant to form part of our policy platform. So it's a good way to have a voice as well as, as you've said, um, having the opportunity to vote for candidates um, and pre-select candidates who will run for seats, that's so important. If we want good quality people in our parliaments, um, we should be active on the ground recruiting and, um, you know, finding them and then supporting them to get up. Now, obviously, there is going to be a whole bunch of people watching uh, who are, are rightly... Uh, wanting to see the complete and immediate elimination of abortion altogether, just as you should with slavery. That's a human rights violation. It should be completely ended. Um, now, you've managed to get policy successfully up, but it's nowhere near that uh, achieving that much. What, what would you say to people who might be critical of the fact that it's only at best a half measure of uh, abolishing abortion? Well... First of all, I don't think anybody can ever abolish abortion, just like you can never abolish prostitution or other other things in our society that you might think are, are not good for women. You can't completely eradicate those things. Well, um, sure, we've abolished slavery in law and yet it's still quite prevalent. But uh, yeah. just restricting the conversation to policy and, and law, um, yeah. if, if we were to ban abortion, um, criminalise doctors, let's say, 
Um, why wouldn't that be your policy instead of some of the policies that the LNP are taking? I think, Dave, what's important to understand about politics is that politics is really the art of what is possible. And it always comes down to what the community wants. It always comes down to what you can get through um, the parliaments. And so um, just as um, Labor have been working on this for many years to bring in the legislation that they've brought in, that just didn't happen overnight. There's been a cultural change. There's been a societal change. And so I would say that um, what is also needed along with um, people being willing to put up good legislation and bills is there has to be that societal support behind it. We have to see a cultural change which values human life, which respects women, which provides for the needs of women. And at the moment, women are really um, largely pregnant women who are in crisis and not really having their needs met. So we have to see some changes um, in our communities as well. Now, a quick show of hands here. Who on the panel thinks abortion should be banned by law? That's well, actually complicated, isn't it? It depends what you mean and how you do that, you see. Um, if you're going to criminalise doctors, I've heard, I've heard this... Um, Sorry, my mic's playing up, I think. Um, uh, but it's just yeah. Stephen's mic echoing. I'll mute him for a minute. <laughs> Keep going, Julie. And I, I think, Dave, this is the importance of having a review and having a respectful discussion around these issues because we have to come together and talk about these things in a very um, careful way and to put forward all ideas onto the table. But um, if, for example, we were to criminalise doctors, for example, and, you know, that's a conversation that people can have. But if doctors are criminalised and women are going to decide to have an abortion, but it's a criminal offence for a doctor to do it, where is she going to get that abortion? And what political party um, is going to be able to pass a bill that says it's okay for women to go and have a backyard abortion, for example? So... We have to think carefully about um, these ideas and not just the intended consequences, but the unintended consequences that ideas can bring as well and think those things through. Mm. Una, just regarding, um, although that could be a fake name, looking at it, one person, Una Persona. I, I knew somebody called Una, okay, so it's not a, not a terrible fake name. Um, the reason I don't think I support banning abortion is because we... We actually had that prior to um, the terrible Jackie Trad laws, and it achieved nothing. Um, we have a problem that's cultural, um, not strictly legal, um, but being legally banned, we still had at least 10, maybe 20,000 abortions a year in Queensland alone, um, let alone other states around Australia. Uh, and so there are definite other policies we should be implementing. Debbie, this is a strong area of specialty for you. Uh, if we want to reduce abortions, uh, they're more effective ways than simply banning them. I think we need some really massive public education campaigns. The public are generally have really bought the disinformation, as have many of the politicians. And, you know, to, quite frankly, I don't think politicians manage this stuff very well. They don't 
perhaps don't have a full grasp of the, you know, the social issues related to abortion. Um, but the majority of the general public, when I speak to the public, still they believe the alarmist discourse. They believe that without abortion, women are dying, that late-term abortion mm. only occurs in the setting of a woman being about to die or her baby's going to die. When I then say, perhaps, perhaps in a print um, print communities, actually half of all late-term abortions are for psychosocial reasons. It's a solution we offer a woman for her adverse social or economic or relational circumstances. Um, and it is a greater physical risk to her to have a termination at 24 weeks than to have a live delivery. Um, that is quickly jumped on by abortion advocates and then starts that process of discrediting and demeaning, et cetera, that occurs. And so what happens is there's this psychological process that happens inside people. I'm writing this chapter of my book at the moment. There's this psychological process of if you've always accepted that abortion is necessary and it's okay and maybe you've known someone who's had one or you've had one yourself or you've not spoken against it, um, but you're in that middle ground and it's a little bit uncomfortable for you. And someone says to you, well, actually, don't you realise that more than half of late-term abortions are of women who are healthy with healthy babies? Um, and they, babies could be delivered alive and we could do something about helping the women in their circumstances. That's quite horrifying to the majority of those people. They go, mm. oh, no, that can't be the case. And it, it creates a sense of extreme discomfort and people will fall back on what they prefer to believe is true that will ease their discomfort and because the messaging about abortion the alarmist disinformation that's out there which is you know abortion saves lives pregnancy kills um, you know these people are religious nutters they're just trying to control women's bodies they kind of go oh, okay, well, it mustn't be true, um, you know, because these other people are saying she's a bad researcher or, you know, she's this, and it makes them feel better. So they fall back on that. And so we're not getting the messages out very well. It's like developing an argument that, um, you know, women need abortion if they're involved in domestic violence relationships. Well, I would argue because they don't want to be tied to the men. I would argue, let's do something about the men if in fact you've got a DV situation where a man is a perpetrator, um, as opposed to saying to a woman, this is the solution we're going to offer you to keep you safe from the man beating you up. We're going to mm -hmm. offer you um, the option of having an abortion. Um, you know, in 2010, 2011, there were 17 post 28 week abortions in Victoria of healthy babies, healthy mothers. 28 weeks a baby could be delivered and have a 98, 99% chance of surviving without any issues. And those women were at much greater medical risk having a double procedure to first terminate the life of the baby and then de have delivery. Mm. So I just wanted to talk, to, it seems like a long time ago, but it's a really important thing. You might remember in 2011, there were headlines in Melbourne about the wrong twin being terminated. So a woman went into hospital, she was pregnant with twins, one of them was found to have a cardiac condition, she was 32 weeks, they decided they would terminate the twin with the cardiac condition and um, what that necessitated was a, an injection into the heart and then delivery of that baby. Um, 
whilst keeping the other baby healthy, what happened was the wrong baby's heart was injected. So the healthy baby was terminated. Mm. They then delivered both babies and terminated the life of the other baby through the process of cesarean section. So we don't actually know what happened. There was a lot of headlines around that. People were absolutely, completely horrified. But I also noticed some headlines changed. So, you know, healthy baby accidentally killed turned into um, a bungled procedure ends life of fetus. Mm. Um, So the language kind of changed. But what people didn't understand was that was only one healthy baby that year of 170 babies that year whose lives were terminated in Victoria alone for a social reason. Um, So we can see that people are horrified when they hear what actually happens in one context. Mm. They don't want to hear how often it happens. And our politicians are the same. Now, Queensland was actually really bad at this. I came up to Queensland. There's a few of my YouTube videos of when I spoke to politicians in Queensland. But the Senate committee set up to take in to speak to people in submissions around decriminalisation. They censored the submissions. Yes, they did. They even mm. redacted, like a picture, a, a draw, a Da Vinci drawing. Yes, of I remember that. Was mm. redacted from a, a letterhead of a of a submission. Yeah. Now, when your Senate committee won't even look at the fullness of information, um, and an anatomical diagram. Yep. An anatomical diagram. It was part of a letterhead. It wasn't, you know, something. And it's added. Da Vinci. It's not like Leonardo well, da, Vinci da Vinci was a, a hard right wing exactly. provocateur. So they took out lots <laughs> of words and, and all sorts of things. So it was a setup right from the beginning. There's no question. Yep. They didn't want to hear all the information. Of course not. They didn't question the late term abortionist when she said, well, of course I would perform an abortion on a woman I know was who was knowingly coerced. Mm. I waited for the response from one of those Senate committee to even say, well, what do you mean? Can you tell me more about that? Nobody said anything. No. Mm. You know, it just it just kind of slipped through. So the problem we've got is that people are not being, we're not getting these good public education campaigns going. Politicians mm. aren't being well-versed in um, how to speak the words, what the, what the good arguments are, um, and how we bring that middle majority across. Um, Julie spoke before about the fact that politicians follow what the community wants. I would argue the community can't know what they want if they don't understand what's going on. Yeah. Community yeah. surveys on abortion are completely useless when all those people are subject to the dominant discoursing and they yep. believe the alarmist disinformation. Yeah, totally. I actually want to ask you, Stephen, um, what you think some of the keys might be to effectively changing culture, uh, as we saw with the abolition in law of, of slavery in England, it actually took a, a generation. It certainly wasn't an election cycle accomplishment. Um, now that was 200 or so years ago, maybe a little bit more. Um, what are what are some of the strategies we should be asking government um, to good government to adopt to to move in the direction of of valuing life and, and reducing abortions to the point of abolition and, and elimination um, uh, and what are the things that we could be doing I, I guess as as political activists as uh, average voters going sorry. to i had you just muted start again sorry 
Yeah, that's fine. Uh, I think the key is really to go to the people on this particular issue, which is also what the anti-slavers did. Of course, it was fought in Parliament, um, but there was a massive campaign to change the minds of the people, and they did it through just very, very creative uh, rhetoric, using pictures, uh, sort of how would you feel in this situation. One of the great, uh, uh, one of the great um, uh, tools that we have is technology itself. Uh, you know, I, I don't think we should underestimate the, the, the degree to which the ultrasound uh, has probably changed people's views. And, and as technology improves in terms of how much we can see in the womb and, and, how, and how clear that image is, and, uh, I, and I, I think actually over time uh, more minds will change. Another thing is uh, what I suspect we'll probably see, this is going to sound very strange, but I think you'll actually see an uptake in people doing um, uh, 3D, uh, uh, 3D prints of their unborn babies. I think that will actually uh, become uh, something that's uh, very popular. Uh, and uh, I think that will have an effect on people, that people will actually see that this is not merely a clump of cells. And the other thing is that it also all depends on how you frame the issue. And so you can, you know, when you've got to tap into sort of the mindset of, of up and coming generations. I mean, I wouldn't even try to change the minds of people um, born, you know, before 19, uh, you know, before 1980, or I don't think there's any point. Um, but but yeah, but um, the younger generations, you, you can sort of suggest to them that you know abortion is is you know in many instances an act of an act of selfishness. It's an act of of, of violence uh, against an innocent person. Uh, if you can sort of hook on to uh, a concern about uh, violence against living creatures that, that exists today, uh, a sort of anti-selfishness ethic that's particularly leveled against baby boomers among younger people today. If you can sort of hook it onto those kinds of emerging uh, ways of thinking morally, then, you, then you, you, know, you could have actually quite a lot of success. And there, of course, there are several studies indicating that, among, that, that millennials will on average actually have more conservative views on abortion uh, than uh, older generations. And so I think there has been something of a shift that's taken place, but I think central to all of it may actually be technology. I think that's, uh, yeah, I, I think you're right. Uh, we saw, I'm just trying to get the right camera angles back up. We saw uh, it wasn't technology per se, but it was imagery and visualisation of of the suffering of slaves uh, in William Wilberforce's day that um, provided a great awakening for, for people of the human rights violations that was going on, uh, not in polite society, but out of sight, out of mind, behind the closed and private, dare we say, clinical doors um, of, of distance. Um, Malcolm, um, I want to just ask you about, uh, I guess, the Office of Scientific Integrity, an idea uh, which wants to bring back some intellectual honesty uh, to the politicization of, of science, where people might claim that science says something which coincidentally agrees with, with their political philosophies. How might a office of science, first of all, what is that? Tell us a little bit more about that. And how might that uh, empower uh, an informed discussion in the public who are subsequently polled on contentious issues like abortion? Well, there, there are several ways. The most fundamental thing is to have scrutiny 
of the actual science that is proposed or that, it, that is supposed to be underpinning a policy. So that could take various forms, but we would need to set up an office of scientific integrity that would be able to fund the interrogation or the cross-examination of the supposed science. At the moment, government tends to fund one side. Um, and, and, mm. and, and so what, we, what, what is the core of science is rigorous debate on the science. And what we need to do is to fund the blue team, so to speak. So if the red team is there um, pushing the government's view, then we need to fund the opposites to make sure they have a good, rigorous debate. Other ways yep. of doing it simply is to, is to take on an idea from the, I think it's the Department of, uh, the Environmental Protection Agency in America or the Department of Energy, I can't remember which one. But they're suggesting that uh, any policy that is supposedly based on science must be put on a website and open to public scrutiny, a bit like a transparency portal for financial matters and expenses. And that would be very, very rigorous. At the moment, um, mm. there is no science really put forward. Science is not just data. Science is data in a framework, a logical framework that proves cause and effect. And, and I defy anyone to prove the science on, or sh even show me where the science is on so many of our I tell you what, uh, it, wouldn't the coronavirus debate be a whole lot different if the modelling had transparency and government wasn't hiding uh, so much of, of the suppositions and assumptions which go into uh, the, the claims that science says uh, certain policies are justified? Um, and, you know, I know certainly in Queensland that the uh, Labor government health minister simply refuses to answer questions um, transparently and accountably asked of him in Parliament um, of reports that uh, the abortion industry is making. Why the big secret? Why is there uh, this inability to, to have an, an honest uh, conversation um, amongst each other? Uh, George Christensen, um, your thoughts? We, we sort of need to bring this home. We're already at the 90-minute mark, um, but... Um, Expand on this. If you want to uh, give any more thoughts, um, I know you're not a state member of parliament, but if you've got any insights into LNP policy and, and what it's going to be prosecuted and why people might want to consider an LNP candidate, um, go ahead and, and uh, offer that as well as any wider topics, uh, thoughts you've got for the conversation. Well, let me be gracious, first of all, and just say uh, to my good colleague, uh, Senator Roberts, that uh, One Nation does indeed have a fantastic pro-life policy. And so uh, I'm going to give credence or credit where credit's due, and it certainly is due uh, to One Nation. But uh, the credit's also due to the vast majority, I think all but two, uh, LNP members who voted against these laws and actually tried to change aspects of the laws that Labor brought in. Mm. Uh, there's one thing that is absolutely sure as uh, day follows night and night follows day and that is a re-elected Labor government will keep those laws in place. Yeah. Uh, any other option that emerges after the election will mean those laws will change. So I'm very heartened to hear what Christian Rowan said. Uh, I put my hand up when it was asked uh, would I vote to ban abortion. Um, of course I would vote to ban abortion. That is where my moral compass is at. Uh, however, I accept what Julie and others have said, that um, the reality is politics is the art of the possible and uh, you can only be shifted as far as what the culture will allow. And uh, 
it, 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 it pains me to say, but mm. there is a face of culture of death that yeah. uh, emanates through the West. Um, and uh, I think you said at the start of this in your monologue, monologue Dave, you said uh, uh, something about abortions um, for liberty. Uh, I would say that that's the only part of your monologue that I probably disagreed with. It's not for liberty. People might perceive it as liberty. Uh, mm. What it is is people walking away from responsibility. It was uh, actually a list of, of uh, deceitful yeah, yeah. claims. Yeah, so you're right. It's, it's, it's the opposite. Absolutely. absolutely. I agree mm. with you. That's, it is. I did hear it was a list of deceitful claims, but that's what they say, that it's mm. for liberty. But it's not for liberty. It's for running away from responsibility. Mm. And um, so, uh, look, you know, uh, politics being the art of the possible, let's wind back these laws. Uh, there's elements of what One Nation have put forward that I know LNP members have been advocating for, the vast majority of them, um, ensuring that uh, the psychological assessments are completely independent uh, of, of the abortionists. Um, ensuring that it doesn't just have the ease of late-term well, late abortion should just be a no, quite frankly. Uh, the concept that you, you can have abortions up until birth. Now, you're going to get me on my high horse here. One of the things that Giddy I'm up. really, really, really angry about is, is Labor and the left and all of those that they've seemingly conned, and there's a few in the media as well, I've got to say, that when you say that the laws of Queensland, the Labor laws have allowed abortion up until birth, they will tell you, no, that's not right. Yes, that's right. That is absolutely and utterly right. Uh, the laws stipulate that all you need for an abortion after 22 weeks, there's no time limit on it, so just after 22 weeks, that means right up until the baby is born, yep. is that you need two signatures from doctors. Now, that's facilitated by whatever clinic you walk into. It will be absolutely facilitated, quick as yes. look as you. So, so it is essentially abortion. Even if they're not there, it doesn't even require those doctors to be physically no, no. present. They can be but, phone but, consultations. Or... They'll, get, they'll get one from the clinic that they're in, uh, mm. one from the clinic down the road or, or the clinic in the next town that's doing the same job. Uh, and, and when someone walks into the clinic down the road or the clinic in the next town, um, well, they'll call upon that other doctor to do the second signature. So, so it's going to yep. be very, very, very. It is a very, very easy process, um, and and is almost like this uh, denial of the truth that's going on. I put up a Facebook post a while ago that was a Cherish Life uh, uh, social media tile, and people were saying, "No, that's not true. It mm. is true. It is fact. Why are they trying to? We, this is not even about." debating something that might be offensive to someone or whatever. They're now trying to deny the truth so we can't have a factual debate about what the laws actually are. Well, the mm. wool can't be pulled over people's eyes. We have abortion on demand in Queensland right up until birth. That has got to be changed. And I'm sure that the LNP will do it. And I'll tell you what, uh, if they get in, and I think they will get in, um, do you? Uh, I, I will be writing them up until the day that that law is 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 put in, and I'm sure that uh, that there'll be people like Christian Rowan and Mark Robinson and many others that will be doing it too inside the team. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
And uh, Julie, yeah. The public education campaigns, because people do deny those things um, mm. because they're not hearing it from enough different sources, from enough reliable sources. Um, so, you know, good public education campaigns that I think, I think that maybe it, I, the policies I've seen are very fetally centred, fetal centric, mm. and I think we need to also highlight the social justice issues for women. You know, the yeah. fact that more than 95% Justice, justice issues, women, Debbie, I have to correct you. Not social justice, justice the, issues. The fact that They're just justice. <laughs> of all abortions are for psychosocial reasons, that is yep. a lack of resourcing and a lack of support. Um, very few, if any, abortions on an annual basis are ever done to save a woman's life. You know, mm. if a woman is seven months pregnant, she doesn't need an abortion if she's physically unwell. She needs yep. a live delivery of her baby. Yep. The public don't know this stuff. We are not yeah. getting it out effectively. There need to be mass education campaigns of the public. Debbie, what would your top three policies that are pro-woman for the benefit of reducing... Uh, the incidence of abortion be with the, what would the what would be the top three policies to help remove that pressure uh, that makes leads them to thinking that's their only viable choice. I think that women need we need to stop walk in walk out clinics um, because that's a huge pressure. Uh, most private clinics are about make an appointment, come along, we will counsel you. Um, however, bring you know. A, your cash and your Medicare card and, and a change of clothing because if you decide to have your abortion, you'll have it while you're here anyway. I think we need waiting periods for women um, so that they have time to consider their decisions. We need uh, women to know what their alternatives are and we need to put things in place to ensure that there are actual genuine alternatives to meet the social needs of women. We must um, be. We must learn to identify coercion, and coercion is not just, uh, you know, not just the real tangible that someone is forcing me. But we know that even women, you know, one of the tragic, tragic stories I've got in my book is of a woman who flagged with the abortion clinic that her boyfriend was forcing her to have an abortion. He made the appointment. She said, mm. when I come in, will you please do something? She was failed every step of the way. Shame. Um, so it's simply not happening. We need to take this, we need to take abortion out of the hands of abortion yep. providers who have a vested interest in what's interest. going on and yep. give it to people who are <clears throat> actually concerned about addressing the real issues for women. Can yep. I just quickly jump in on the on the issue of public education? I can say as a member of parliament, and no doubt Malcolm will share my frustration here, it's very, very difficult. It's very, very difficult when there is so much fake news out there. I mean, um, you, you, uh, I, I don't know how, it serves the government of the day, right, to have people thinking that there is not abortion on demand up until birth in Queensland. Um, and we obviously have a media landscape that's dominated by the left. So they don't want to get those truths out there either. Uh, so what you end up having is a politician that comes out and says something, uh, other political actors coming out and saying the opposite, and then it just turns into a he said, she said, and no one bothers to go looking for the facts. Um, and that's where... Um, on other issues, I don't know that it applies to the abortion question, 
But uh, one of the things that we've seen during the coronavirus debate is the death of the expert, I reckon, uh, because there's experts that are giving all sorts of opinions, all sorts of opinions, really? all sorts of things, and uh, they're often differing. They can't be right. We've seen, uh, uh, as far as I'm concerned, uh, we've seen it with the climate change debate as well, and that's where Malcolm's, uh, uh, what, what he was asked before about an office of science quality assurance um, is, is, uh, is very much needed to actually interrogate Mm. claims that are made, particularly claims that are uh, purported in scientific papers uh, by so-called experts that are that are seeking to influence or to be used for public policy. Very important. Let's uh, fly around the screen and uh, wrap up. Final thoughts. Uh, George, we'll come back to you. Debbie, um, final thoughts. Anything, any topic, especially if we covered it in the last 100 minutes. Yeah, sure. Um, I, I just think this is a, you know, we, we perhaps have some good opportunity, um, particularly with a couple of, you know, two or three political parties putting forward um, some policies around uh, uh, this, the right to life, some really good opportunities to both educate our politicians, educate the public. Let's do it really well and effectively this time just to get the, get the ball rolling um, and get the public more aware of what the issues are. Julie, final thoughts for you for anything we've covered tonight? Thanks, Dave. Just a couple. One, on the issue of education, um, one of the motions that the LNP women put forward for debate and which was passed at State Council was that um, children in uh, primary school be taught about fetal development, even within a science class, so that they have an understanding that the human heart is beating by three or four weeks, that all the baby's organs are in place by eight weeks um, from conception, that your fingerprints are starting to form by 12 weeks. I think that that kind of information is really, really important. And if children can be taught that, um, and if we can reach our school kids with that, um, before any of them ever find themselves with an unplanned or a crisis pregnancy, that's at least providing them with information. Um, we saw um, last year Emily's voice put up on a bus in um, Sydney, uh, the, the heart beats at four weeks and a beautiful picture of a pregnant mummy's tummy with a, a heart shape on her tummy. And the minister, uh, the transport minister, um, ordered it off the buses and said he was horrified. And, mm. you know, and this just goes back to what Debbie was saying about this abortion discourse that is so dominant. And if you try to, um, you know, produce a fact that it's kind of just people can't cope with that, Another reason why they say you're lying when you say abortion is actually legal up until birth in Queensland for any reason, and there are no exceptions, but we do have to keep um, the pressure up. And my husband recently asked a question in the parliament of the health minister and asked him for any exception within the abortion legislation. Was there any exception, you know, gender or any reason that a baby would not be terminated at any stage of pregnancy? And the uh, minister's answer was just go and read the act. But he wouldn't, there's no, <laughs> and you can't because there's no exceptions, there's no protections, there's yeah. no safeguards in the act. Um, and that's why we have to do something about it. And I just want to thank um, Deb Frecklington for her promise to do the review and to bring some changes. And I think, you know, bringing as many people together as we can, as many parties together as we can, we will find some really. Um, good ways to bring some good policy in. 
if anybody is tempted to follow Syra Benad's advice and uh, try and get $2,000 from her cash app, I would suggest you don't. That's going to be a con. Uh, she's been deleted and blocked. Um, but just for the sake of, sorry, she's gone. But, uh, yeah, don't do that. Uh, it's probably a, a late 50s bald man in his mother's basement, um, not the face or name that you saw. Uh, you will lose your money, never get it back. <laughs> um, so there we go. Uh, that's not what we mean by public education. But uh, <laughs> anyway, Stephen, final thoughts for the evening. Um, look, just a very, just a very quick thought, and it's simply that we must remember that culture has not always been the culture of death and the culture of license over liberty. Uh, this is all the result of a cultural change that took place over a long period of time. And we'll never change culture back to what it was before. You can never, you know, repeat the past, but that doesn't mean we can't change it in another very positive direction as well. It's changed once, it'll change again. We can be so agents good. of change. You know, we can be optimistic. Uh, you know, um, if we stay faithful, uh, not just to our principles, but to uh, to living according to those principles as individuals, as families, and as churches. Thank you very much. And uh, Senator Malcolm Roberts? Uh, thank you, Dave. Uh, first of all, I, I think the most important thing that's been said today is what you said, and that is to, uh, when it comes to voting, assess the candidates and the policies, and above all, the behaviours, the track records of these people. Yes. So that's the most important thing. That covers all the topics. The second is that I think we need to restore competitive federalism and get more power back to the states where it belongs. Yep. Because at the moment, most most problems in our country can be directed straight to Canberra. Um, and we need to get that out because Canberra has got very limited accountability. And uh, this, the state government in Queensland is a, is a complete mess. It's not Anastasia Palaszczuk who's the premier. It's the labor machine, a heartless machine that's been proven. And so we've got to, we've got to really cheat home the responsibility to that but we have to got have to get it back from the central government back to the states and then deal with it in the states um as our constitution is intended and and i think we also have to speak up everyone as as conservatives because for too long we have just stood back and not worried about the the march of the control freaks that have taken over all of our institutions they're not trying to take over well they have been trying to take over the supreme court in america but it's the same here so we have to stop sitting by and watching this happen. We have to call it out, call it out respectfully and strongly. Absolutely. Uh, and uh, George Christensen, member for Dawson. Thanks very much, Dave. Well, I think that uh, what I want to say is that liberty is always at stake when democracy turns into mob rule. And uh, unfortunately, I think that's what we are seeing in the US. And mm. uh, suggested earlier where the us goes uh the rest of the west often follows and uh very very worried about what is going to transpire uh, simply because people are not uh people on the left are not liking decisions that have been made uh by the legitimate government by the public they are taken to the streets and rioting breaking the law uh it's not just breaking the law i mean this is a headline i'm sorry to do it like this is uh there we go today i gave my dad a choice trump or his grandkids and his son so in other words now in families 
uh, people saying to other family members, you will vote the way I want you to vote, yeah. or you will not see me or your grandkids again. Uh, this is a mentality that is insane. Yeah. Um, so liberty is at stake, and uh, liberty is also at stake in Queensland. And if I can encourage you, one thing, liberty of life is the most fundamental of all, and if you believe in liberty yeah. of life, the right to life, then you must put Labor and the Greens last on your ballot paper in the Queensland election. Written and authorised, yeah. watch Christensen, Mackay. <laughs> <laughs> I, look, uh, I, I would encourage you, as futile as an exercise as it may be, I would encourage you to engage with your Labor and Greens candidates and, and ask them if they will fight against abortion and uh, make sure they know that their answer will be informing your vote. And um, after, you, after you put them last. <laughs> and, uh, and then put all the other pro-life candidates. Um, yeah. But honestly, I, I think you... Anyway it's very unlikely you'll get any of them saying they would vote in parliament against uh, abortion or against euthanasia. Actually, uh, Ronan, Ronan Lee, uh, the last, he was an aberration. Ronan Lee, I think, was the last Greens, no, no, there is a Greens member now, one of the last Greens right. members in the Queensland parliament, and he actually was against abortion, but, uh, but uh, they, they, I think they eventually kicked him out of the party for it. Wow, yeah, and and that and good on him. Uh, I'm hoping to actually uh, tee up an interview with a um, ex Labor member whose um, ethics for life made it incompatible with continued membership of the Labor Party, uh, and there's not not a few of those. So some good people there, and that's what I'm saying. You know, actually have those conversations. Uh, you may, in a certain seat, um, be surprised. Um, a big thank you to all the viewers for tonight. Thank you for your comments and questions. We've engaged with some and those that really weren't anything related to the topic at all, um, we have uh, glossed over and kept moving. Uh, apologies that it's gone so much longer than usual, but it's always great to hear people's full thoughts. And uh, of course, thank you to the panelists for their generous investment of time in this conversation this evening. Uh, thank you very much, guys. Stick around. We'll have a chat backstage. Um, but for everyone on the live stream right now, make sure you head over to goodsource.news, subscribe to the newsletter, and click on the support button, become a monthly supporter to help us continue making more good shows like this. And, of course, uh, Saturday morning, check out um, George Christensen's show, Conservative One, Defending Traditions and Freedoms. I think I remembered the whole thing, George. That's it. Very good. There's some really great, uh, really great shows and, and conversations yeah, there. And uh, one day we will elicit many great articles from Dr. Stephen Shavura um, joining. Uh, Debbie and Malcolm, would you be up for an article? Yes. Fantastic. And Julie, I think I've got something published from you, although not too recently. Welcome, welcome again. But that's it for this show. Good night, everyone. And we will uh, see you next Monday, uh, next Tuesday night, 8 p.m. Australian Eastern Time. Bye bye.